This is Matthew McConaughey, and you are listening to Five Questions with Dan Schaubel. You're listening to the Five Questions podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Schaubel. In fewer than 10 minutes, my goal is to extract the best advice from the world's smartest and most interesting people by asking them just five questions. My guest today is Academy Award-winning actor Matthew McConaughey. You might know Matthew as the A-list actor that has appeared in over 40 feature films that have grossed over $1 billion, like Days and Confused and The Dallas Buyers Club, but he's also a deep thinker, family man, and professor. After decades of keeping a journal, he captured much of his life experiences, quotes, and stories in his new book, Green Lights, which we discuss in this podcast episode. How did journaling for 35 years help you better understand your life and career as you battled hardships and you had successes? You know, at the beginning of my writing in my diary, going to my journal, I went to my diary like most people go to a diary. You go to the diary when things are not going well, when you're trying to figure stuff out, when you're lost, when you're looking for identity, when you're trying to find your frequency, you know, so-and-so broke up with me. Why won't, you know, about a, about a girl breaking my heart or something like that. Later in life, I noticed in my 20s, when I started to find myself and started kind of rolling, catching proverbial green lights and my relationships were going well, I had a, had a job, I was making my grades, things were kind of cooking. I remember at that time saying, well, make sure you keep writing in your journal now. McConaughey because I was intrigued at the idea that we're, we're, we're so often have the habit of dissecting our failures, but hey, let's dissect our successes too. Let, let's, let's take some notes right now while things are going well and see what those habits are. I had a hunch this would be true, but what became true is later on when I got in another rut, which obviously we'll do because we're never completely found, I was able to go back in those times, look at those diaries of times when I was succeeding. Look at what my habits were. Who was I hanging out with? Where was I going? What was I eating? What was I drinking? How much sleep was I getting? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How was I looking at life? How was I approaching things? And I was really able to recalibrate in the times that I was in a rut and would help me sort of find my frequency again and, and, and come out of it. Each time was different, but I would find certain habits that I could take with me and was damn glad I had written them down. In the book, use the analogy that in the highway of life, we have red, yellow, and green lights. How did your father's death eventually become a blessing for you, turning from a red to a green light? There were things that he taught me and raised me and values that he instilled in me, but you know, I wasn't necessarily putting them into practice, making them habits of mine, ingraining them in my psyche and in my in my gut. I guess partially because I knew I, I still had him. I could rely on him. He was above law and government, and if I really needed him, he was there. So to some extent, I was living out 85. I was making B's in the values that he had taught me. I was I was still Peter Panning around with my values and who I was because, hey, I can rely on my dad. He's still here. Well, him moving on, I immediately used the term sobered up. And, and I mean it by, whoa, I better man up here. I got to become a man. I got to have the courage to start enacting who I am. I don't have that safety net. I don't have that crutch of my father anymore. I remember I carved this into a tree. It was two weeks after he had passed away, about a month maybe. Less impressed, more involved. And his passing is where that came from. And what I mean by this is I noticed that there are things, mortal things in the world that I revered, people that I revered, fame, money, different forms of success that were mortal, that I had reverence for and almost intimidated by. They were other than, intimidated, looked up to them. And I was like, no, you can respect those things, but I'm not, not going to revere them anymore. So what I was looking up at, mortal things I was revering came down to eye level. On the flip side of that, 
things that I was looking down upon, people I was patronizing, situations I was condescending rose up to eye level and the world was flat. I could see further, I could see wider and I could see more clearly. And my heart came up and my head came up and I said, you better look it in the eye, Matthew. Uh, your dad's not here anymore. Pop's not here. You don't have that behind you. It's time for you to man up and become a man. And that was one of the great green lights that his passing gave me. And I don't know that I'd be sitting here talking to you right now about a book with the career I have and the life I have if my dad hadn't passed away. I don't know, I would have done something else, but I maybe I would have waited longer to really step up and seek my own identity and find my own frequency and take risk. Took a lot more risk after my father moved on. Got more courageous to be, try and be and figure out who the heck I was and what I wanted to do. You talk a lot about self-awareness in the book and I love and agree with what you said, which is the first step to knowing who you are is knowing who you're not. How did you use the process of elimination to discover yourself and choose the right career path? I always thought I was going to be a lawyer. I went to the University of Texas with the idea that I'm going to go become a defense attorney. And it was around the sophomore year, it was coming around exam time. And I hadn't really been sleeping well with the idea of becoming a lawyer. The idea that I need a couple more years to graduate, then I need to go to law school, then I need to find a job that, that I would, wouldn't be able to put an imprint in the world and execute something until I was in my 30s, basically. And I was like, I don't really, I'm, I'm not sleeping well with the idea that I will spend my entire 20s preparing for something. I don't want to have this whole decade be preparation. And I had been writing at the time. These diaries, I'd been writing short stories. I had shared them with a, a friend of mine who gave me validation that, hey, these are creative and good. And it was also a friend who was saying, and, and you know what, Matthew, you might want to, you know, try and get in front of the camera. You got good character. And you know what I mean? You, you're, you, you have the confidence to be yourself in front of the camera. Maybe try that out too. And I'm like, ah, oh, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. You know, it's too much of an avant-garde idea in my mind. Well, around that time, final exam, sophomore year, now moving into junior year where you better be specific about what credits you're taking because now you could waste some if you want to change your career path or your major after your junior year. I um, decided I wanted to go to film school. Got the confidence to say I wanted to go to film school. Now it was about calling my dad and telling him that, which was a very nerve wracking thing. I thought he was going to go, you want to do what, boy? That's not a real job. You know, you, I was raised, you work your way up a company ladder. You know, you, you, you put it in. That's what my dad did. That's what he knew. And here I'm going to, his son going to be calling the man who's paying for my education to say, I want to go into the arts. I did not think it was going to go well. So I call him and he says, Hey buddy, what's going on? I said, uh, Papa need to talk to you about something. He says, sure. What? I said, dad, I don't want to go to law school anymore. I want to, I want to go to film school. And there was a pause on the other line. He goes, well, are you sure that's what you want to do? And I said, yes, sir. And there was another pause. And then I heard these three words that just not only gave me approval, gave me a shot in the backside and just catapulted me forward. And the three words were this, don't half-ass it. And I was like, oh, I, was, I remember just going into tears that my father gave me that power. He gave me more than privilege. He gave me freedom to go after it. And people around the world, as you know, are suffering from stress, anxiety, and depression right now, especially during COVID. You mentioned prescribes in the book. What prescribes do you have to help others manage difficult situations and improve their mental health right now? <laughs> Let me start with this one. Once you know it's black, it ain't near as dark. These are black times. COVID's black times. Let's admit that. Look that in the eye. Do not waste what I call... 30% of our energy wasted on anticipation anxiety. Meaning like when we sit there and go, oh, maybe tomorrow COVID's over. Maybe tomorrow things will be back to normal. And we wake up tomorrow morning and it's not. But then tomorrow night we go to bed going, oh, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow, maybe. And we wake up the next morning and it's not. 
if you do that, these little peaks and valleys, you're wasting about 30% as far as I can tell of your energy and anticipation that maybe tomorrow things will be better and it'll all be over. No, I actually prescribe going the other way. Start trying to think about like maybe we're doing this for the next three years, five years, 10 years for life. Now, doesn't mean you go into doomsday. Well, what it does mean is on your, even on a cellular level, your survival survival mechanisms come up and you start to reserve your energy for the long haul. The turtle will beat the hare and you're in it and you're navigating the day and things don't stress you out as much because you're not as twitchy on this. You're able to get more rest, conserving energy. I'm in it for the long haul. And then what will probably happen is we'll open up back again. We'll turn the page as a society in the world and re-engage in a capacity and we'll go, Oh, we're ready now. I was ready to go for another five years. I was ready. I, I was ready to go for another ten years. And it's a. It, it'll be a gift when it comes to us. And I know you don't consider yourself a preacher, and this is not supposed to be an advice book. What is your best piece of career advice? Don't act like one. Be one. Whatever it is you're doing, and it goes along with that. Less impressed, more involved. You know, if you have a certain overstated reverence for me, or I have an overstated reverence for you in this conversation. If I have an overstated reverence for you, I can't be involved in this conversation. Not totally. I can connect the dots and kind of say the things kind of what I meant, but I'm not really involved in it. I'm not present in it because I'm going, "Ah." so in our jobs, don't go play the part. If we're fortunate enough to do something that you have an innate ability to do and you're willing to hustle and work for it, like go be one, whatever that job is. Go be whatever that, in the process, go be that. Don't sit on the sidelines and then go, well, I'm going to come and act like one here for a minute. I'm going to do my job. Yep. Connect all the dots. That's passing grade. Okay. I'm out. Don't act like one. Be one. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, Matthew. To follow his journey, you can read his book, Green Lights, and find him on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where he shares his journal entries, announcements, appearances, and pictures from his movies. (laughs) 